First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, and uh, being I didn't preach last Sunday morning, I'm loaded for bear, and uh, I've been in the the study and I've been in the prayer room, and and uh, there's some uh, things that's been on my heart. Now look, you need to be here for these next two services, the next three Sundays for sure. Uh, if you don't get anything else the rest of this year, you need to be here, and I'm glad you're here Sunday today, but I'm, you need to be here next Sunday, and you need to be here the following Sunday. I've got three messages. Now, the first one, today's message is, uh, and, and you know me, I've told you, if I'm preaching to you, I'll tell you I'm preaching to you. I'm going to be mainly preaching to any man that's in here from the ages of 40 and down. So if you're of the male variety... I'm going to be preaching at you and to you. Uh, the men that are 40 and up, you can, it, you'll probably be amen in me. And, uh, and you ladies, I know you'll like what I'm getting ready to preach on. So I know you'll be amen in me. And uh, we'll get through this. I don't think there's seat belts in the pews. If there was, I would tell you to buckle up. Uh, the day's message is entitled, Get a Grip. Get a grip, man up, man up. And so you, you know, yeah, see, I've been too long out of the pulpit and I'm already fired up. I'm fired up. And, and I want you all to know I'm not singling anybody out here. I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of different preachers that are having a lot of the same kind of problems from men in their churches from the age of 40 and down. And I, then I got to doing some study on it and some research on it. And churches aren't the only people uh, that's having problems out of that age group in men today. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Now next week, next week, next Sunday, I'll be preaching on training children. What you should be teaching in your home to your children. Because I got to thinking and as I got to praying this week, maybe parents, maybe we've lost something. You know how, uh, you know, grandma used to make it a certain way, you ladies, and maybe she didn't get to pass down that recipe and you, you can't quite make it the way she used to make it and we lost something from one generation to the next. Maybe, I've been thinking, maybe we're just have lost something, the moms and dads, and they've lost their way and they don't know what they should be teaching in the home. But I promise you, whatever you're doing, if you're not talking with your kids, that's a problem. And I will take you and show you from the Word of God what you should be doing in the Bible. And I'll give you a heads up. It's going to be talk, talk, talk. And that's what the Bible says. That's what God says that we as Christians should be doing in our home. Because if you won't talk to your kids, if you don't tell your kids what's going on and why you're doing what you're doing, the devil will and the world will. I had a nice talk with our youth today. And I was explaining to our youth 
who are in the youth choir, uh, what is expected out of it, and why I think that. And then I took the time to take them through the Bible and to show them what God's Word said about it and how I come up with uh, the, the standards and the thinking that I had so they could understand it. And then I let them ask me questions and talk about it. You say, why'd you do it? And you've seen, some of you seen I had a chair out. That's right. I wanted to sit down and talk at the same level as them. Sometimes when you're dealing with teens and a teacher or an adult is standing over them at a pulpit and it looks intimidating. So you sit down. You'll find Jesus sitting a lot as he taught. Now, when he preached, he probably stood. But he was teaching, a lot of the times he sat. So we had, a, I think, a good time in Sunday school class this morning. But you get back next Sunday. We'll be talking and preaching, and I will show you from the Word of God three things that you should be emphasizing in your home as you're training your children. But then you get back that third week because that'll be the cream puff sermon. That'll be the one, and it'll be an odd sermon, and I'll base that out of Romans 8, 28, because after I'm done with you these next two weeks, you're going to say, oh my, I've made some mistakes. And so then we'll need to put some balm from Gilead on that. And let me tell you some, I assure you, There ain't any mistake that you've made that God can't fix. And I'm going to preach to you a personal testimony about your pastor and your pastor's wife, me and Jen. See, what you're seeing this morning, I'm 52 years old. Y'all didn't know me when I was in my 20s. I wasn't polished. Like I'm not that I'm really polished now, but I promise you, there's been great improvements. Sometimes I have Dad come through, and I think Dad's scheduled to come through in July. And I always tell you, if you want to know anything, you need to ask them while they're in here. That son of yours was he like that when he was a little? You can find out all the juicy details when Mom and Dad come in. I think they're scheduled to come through in July. But this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Oh, men, are you buckled up? You buckled in. All right. Verse 11. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to let her fly. He says, When I was a child, I speak as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us. Help us today. Help our church to grow. To grow in the right way. If there be any here today, even lost, Lord, let the Holy Spirit convict them. Let them see their need for salvation before it's too late. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
As I begin to ponder this subject, and I've been on it for a while now, because of the phone calls I get Monday through Saturday. Preachers calling in. People calling in. And what I'm seeing is there's a great shortage today of godly men. Few men have been trained to be godly men. And because of that, in this country, there's a whole generation, if not two generations, of men who have never grown up. Now, I thought this was just a church problem, a spiritual problem, and it ain't. It's actually been medically diagnosed, and the world calls it delayed social maturation. Delayed social maturation. Better than that, and you know I'm digging, if I'm using the New York Times to quote from, because I don't, I don't read the New York Times. We all know why. But this is what they wrote in 2010 by a person named Mart or Robin Meritance, August the 18th. They had done a study and they said, according to the Census Bureau in 2000, and they had done one in 1960. In 1960, 65% of all men had met the five mile markers of adulthood. Now, the five mile markers of adulthood were to complete school, high school, don't drop out, leaving home, becoming financially independent, getting married, and having children. That was the five milestones that when reached, you were considered an adult. Now, this is what the world's saying. And they're saying, we've got a problem because in 1960, 65% of all men in America, by the time they were 30, had met those five milestones. In 2000, they took this again, the Census Bureau, and only one-third of all the men in the United States by the time they had reached their 30s, had accomplished these. That was in 2010. I couldn't find the numbers for 2022. I promise you, it's less. And it's such a problem that the psychiatrists are saying this is of epidemic proportions. It's called delayed social maturation. Something that I like to commonly say, he wants to lay around on the couch all day at 30 years old, living at home, playing Xbox, and not doing nothing. But yet, he wants a girlfriend, he don't have a job, 
He doesn't care to own a car. When I was growing up at 16 years old, uh, buying, uh, owning your own car was a rite of passage. And I got news for you. My old pappy come to me when I was 15 and said, Son, if you think I'm buying your first car, you're crazy. I got six others of your, children, of your brothers and sisters I got to try to feed, let alone trying to buy you your dream car, which was a 55 Chevy. <laughs> we all wanted something. So dad said, you need to get a job. And by, I'm 15. And by the way, he says, while you're getting a job, you're going to have to start buying those sneakers you like. See, I, I wanted the, 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 back then it was either Nikes or Converse. And so I, every kid wants a $100 pair of Nikes or a $200 pair of Nikes. And dad says, you know what? You get you a job, buddy. I was tired of the $14 Kmart specials. That just didn't look cool. Dad said, you get a job, I'll take you to Walmart or Kmart, and you can buy those $200 Nikes with your money. You know what? Kmart specials look pretty good. I'll just buy two. (laughs) See, things change when you're spending your money. By the time I turned 16, Dad said, oh, by the way, you're going to need to put yourself through driver's ed. Had to take driver's ed in those years. And so it was $100 for the week. Well, I had 100 bucks. I put uh, and, and paid up, signed up. And so I went through driver's ed. It was time for me to take my test. And I said, well, Dad, I need the car. You need to take me down. Dad said, I ain't taking you down, and you ain't using my car. I'm like, man, what a mean, cruel daddy. So I called the driver's ed school. He said, oh, yeah, no problem, man. We rent cars. We'll rent you a car. Really? You do that stuff? Yeah. So I rented their car. They picked me up, went down there, got my driver's license, got my picture. And the guy said, bye, see ya. I'm like, well, you got to take me home. He said, that wasn't part of the deal. So here I am with my driver's license down at the DMV in Redding, Ohio, and I'm on foot. And house is over 20 20 miles away, so I called Dad. Dad? They left me down here. I need a ride home. Oh, man, Dad. So let that be your first lesson. You need to figure that out before you rent this thing. So he come down, picked me up, had my driver's license. And I was working. That was a rite of passage. I couldn't wait to get my first car, which was a 73 Gremlin. By the time I was 18... I moved out. Why? Because that's a rite of passage to be on your own, making your own way, to be financially independent. But there's something wrong with today's age. There's 40-year-olds and 30-year-olds still laying up on the couch, living at home with mommy, collecting allowance, and playing video games. There's a problem. (laughs) Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) is what I got written down here. I was having fun with this thing. And the Bible addresses this. This is the church here in Corinth, and they had gotten saved, but they were immature. And their thinking was immature, and their actions was immature, and they were abusing spiritual gifts. You know, they were running around tonguing, and they were abusing the gift of tongues, and they were jibber-jabbing and running and skipping here and doing, you know how what you see them do. And he's calling them a bunch of babies. Grow up. He says, look, 
The time will come when tongues shall cease. But he says, charity never faileth. That's that love in action. And they had a whole host of other problems. They, they were bragging about sin and how worldly they could act and looked in the house of God. And he gets on them there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, I can't even preach to you spiritual things because you're a bunch of carnal babies. And guess what? We still have the problem today. And he says here, he says, when I was a child. So he's referring to himself. He says, now when I was a child, I speak as a child. You say, what's he talking about? He's talking about childish communication. Now we've all, most of us have raised children. We kind of understand childish communication, don't we? I mean, children can be whiny. The little kids, you know, they get whiny, they get hungry, they get sleepy. Some don't go their way, they begin to get whiny. Well, it's okay for a child to think and to speak like a child because they're a baby. We've got some running around here, they're four or five years old. You know, the three, I, I love them in youth choir. I think I'll be able to do the most with them because I've got started on them earlier. They have no problem about getting up here and singing. They like to sing the special. They're, they're, they're involved. Now, some of the older ones, I don't know if I'm going to be able to salvage some of them. And I've already can see it because it's almost too late. You know how you were when you was about 13? Couldn't tell you nothing. Had your own way of thinking. And a lot of you were never challenged in the home or confronted on that way of thinking. Childish communication is whiny. Like I said, it's okay when it's four year old, little whiny. It ain't okay when it's 30. Well, why? Men. Whining around. And if they won't do it in person, they do it on social media. You hear them, they're whining. Pouring themselves out, whining. I notice them, people get real brave on Facebook, don't they? Social media. Boy, they'll say things on Facebook and texting that they'd never say in person. Whiny. Childish communication. They're complainers. Children. Complain sometimes, don't they? I mean, if, if I had a brother, Jeremiah, and they'll probably be watching this because the kids always watch it. They like when I talk about growing up. And Jeremiah, when he was six, seven, and eight, so he was a child. Still is sometimes. Don't tell him I said that. He would complain. We'd be eating pancakes. What, is, what in the world is there to get upset about pancakes? And maple syrup. But mom and dad would put the butter on his pancakes. You know how butter is. It begins to melt. And it'll begin to slide off. And if it slid off on the wrong side of his plate, like maybe towards the eggs, he would throw a fit and start complaining about that to the point that he wouldn't eat it. And anytime mom and dad would leave the room, I'd say, yeah, I keep complaining about that. Because I was going to eat his pancakes too. And I did. 
It's all right when you're four, five, six, and seven. Eh, four and five. Time you get six, it shouldn't be acting that way. But when you're 30 and 40, <laughs> this complaining, man up. That's that childish talk. And then blame shifting. Kids are good at blame shifting, aren't they? Now, I, I've got news for you. Now, some of you are not going to be able to relate to this because you were the only child in the home. But those of us that were special and we had more brothers and sisters, like six or seven, when something goes wrong and dad and mom come in and say, who did this? You always had somebody to blame it on. That's okay when you're four and five. But when you're 30 and 40, that's not okay blame shifting. Notice how nothing's ever their fault. I've dealt with teens. I've dealt with teens in this church. Nothing's ever their fault. They get in trouble at school. Well, it wasn't my fault. They don't get their homework done. That's just not my fault. Uh, they don't do good. It's just not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Somebody was picking on me. Somebody's did this. And I'm, I'm amazed at how much trouble they get in. It's like, is everybody in the world against you? There is one thing that I know is a common denominator in all your troubles and woes, and that is you. It's funny when they're five. It ain't funny when they're 30 and 40. Blame shifting. You know, it's daddy's fault. I'm this way because of my daddy. I'm this way because of my mommy. I'm this way because of society and what I've had to deal with. Let me tell you something. There's been a whole lot of people that's had to deal with a whole lot worse than you have. If you're in America, and by the way, kids, if you got food in your belly, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, that's good. That's good. You don't need the latest $1,000 game system. And you're not being abused if daddy and mommy doesn't get it for you. Some of these kids got more expensive smartphones than I got. And I'm telling you, they're playing with fire. They've not learned how to appreciate anything. They've not ever had to earn anything. And what's going on is you're raising them, and as they're growing, they get an entitlement mentality. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's how I was brought up. It's what's going on in school. It's the teacher. That's childish talk. Me first. What about my rights? I feel like I'm un it's as unfair. That's childish talk. But then we get to pitching fits. The terrible twos. Little kids throw fits. Temper tantrums, we call them. Now you do what you want in your home. My children threw temper tantrums. They pitched their first fit. And thankfully, they pitched their first fit at home. To which I quickly showed them that they weren't the only one that could pitch a fit. And that daddy, that big, nasty, mean gorilla, could really pitch a bad fit. And that really wasn't the way to handle 
that emotion that we call anger when you don't get your way. There's a better way to deal with it. Just ask Kinsley. Now she's like a grandchild to us. And so we've spent a lot of time with her. And yeah, she's pitched fits. You know what I did? I put her in what we call, I'm more refined now. I put her in what we call a timeout chair. I began to work with her and say, hey, get it, sit down there. That's inappropriate behavior. We don't do that. That's inappropriate. Now you sit there and get a grip. And you'll hear her. She'll know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Get a grip. Because it wasn't too long and she'd act up and she'd look at me and says, I know, I know. Go sit down in the chair until I get a grip, right? I said, that's right. Why? Well, when they're a child, they don't know how to handle that emotion. They've never had that emotion before. And they don't know how to properly govern it. And you've got to help them and work with them through that process to teach them anger is okay, but it's not okay when it comes to pitching a fit. We don't do that. And so you've got to work with them. And this is the hard part. You've got to work with them through it. Until they can get a grip. And that's a process. Now, we can laugh, and kids, we expect it out of kids, but not 30-year-olds. There's a lot of 30- and 40-year-olds that pitch fits. Now, once you get that old, fits come in different sizes and shapes. You might get the silent treatment. That's a fit. You might get pouting in the corner. That's a fit. That's a temper tantrum. Or you take your ball and go home, you run away. Well, I'm out of here. I don't like that. That is childish talk. And he says, when I was a child, I speak as a child. It's okay when you're a child. We expect that out of children. But let's go on. He says, when I was a child, I speak as a child, but I understood as a child. You know what he's talking about? Comprehension. Here's the problem. This is why you got to watch your children. You get a little two-year-old or three-year-old, they've not learned how to connect the dots between actions and consequences. That's why a little kid won't think nothing of it, and you'll catch them jumping off the top of the stairs in the basement down onto a four-inch mattress on a concrete floor when they're kids. Because we haven't figured out how to connect the dots between actions and consequences. It hurts. I've done that a few times with my cousins. One of my cousins, <laughs> he come down and hit his head. Boy, that was a goose egg. Bad enough we couldn't let him go to sleep for a while. And with whining and crying, I jumped off of it and jumped down onto my knees. Right on that concrete. On the mattress, of course. No big deal. I only weighed about, what, 80 pounds? <laughs> 30 pounds? You see, but as adults, 
your comprehension. You can't connect the dots between actions and consequences and you're staying up all night playing video games and you can't figure out why you're tired the next day at work and your performance level at work goes down. You can't figure out why the bill collector's calling you. So I just don't understand that. Well, that means somebody's been spending money. Well, yeah, I can't get my wife to stop spending money. There we go, blame shifting again. Blame shifting. You, have you ever sat down with your beautiful spouse and come up with a budget? And write out a budget. We got to spend this month for the bills, the rent, the house payment, the electric bill, the light bill. We got to save this much out of our paychecks every week. And this is the month amount of money we got left over. That's all we can spend because there's another bill coming around the next month. Well, my wife does all that. That's... Not right. You should be involved in that process. Eating junk food all day, every day, and you can't figure out why you're always sick. Connect the dots. You are going to have to eat your veggies like mom said. And grandma said. You're going to have to have some greens. And I promise you men, if you're in your 30s, I could eat Big Macs about every day and it not bother me. But 52, if I go to eat a Big Mac, I feel bad the next two or three days. No energy. (laughs) Just feel bad. You got to eat your veggies or you're going to get sick. Can't figure out when I swipe my debit card, it takes money out of my account. I'm always broke and I don't know where my money is. Look. That's a debit card. It's taking the money out of your checking account. That's not free money. It don't magically reappear. And you're going to need that money to pay next month's bills. And by the way, you're going to wake up one day and have a flat tire. You're going to need some money for that. Or you might need a quart of oil. Or the car might break down. You need what we call a rainy day fund. What I'm saying is, it's one thing for a child to act that way and to think that way. But when you got a 30 and a 40 year old man acting like this, they're understanding things like a child. And that's not good. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, I understood as a child, I thought... As a child, he's talking about childish thinking. That's that entitlement mentality. I don't know what it is with men today at 30 and 40 years old that think their mom and dad still owe them something. (laughs) I don't understand that. And they're waiting around like vultures when their parents or grandparents die because they're just going to sell everything off and put the money back in their account and then all of a sudden that's going to be gone. Because they got an entitlement mentality. They think everybody owes them something. Nobody owes you anything. You have life and liberty 
and the pursuit of happiness. Not happiness, the pursuit. You're free to pursue it. Get a job. No such thing as a free lunch. It was one of the things my father taught me. You're a kid, you're all the time seeing the free deals. Oh, hey, if we go do this, it's free. I owned a business. I used to give free samples out of the colors, the stucco chart. And there'd be people that, oh, it's free. So I'll get 40. Here's what they didn't understand. First rule of sales. The free samples are built into the price. I mean, do you think they're just going to take that and just pay for it? And How would you think that company would make any money? It is a free sample, but it's already been built into the price. So, did you itemize it? No, it's in the square foot price. You can have all the samples you want. And the same goes on at Sam's Club when you go there to eat the free samples. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. It's built into the cost of the product. I get this. Well, they're going to give you a free trip. Yeah, but you got to sit through a four-hour seminar every day. Time is money. And then they're going to make you feel like a fool if you don't sign up to buy something. How do you know? Because I was dumb once. <laughs> you say once? Okay, I have moments. <laughs> When I'm not, but I'm still a little dumb. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Nobody owes us anything. The big problem today is with society. What about a 30-year-old man that won't even, living at home, living and won't even mow the grass and still demanding allowance from his mommy? Uh-uh. Mommy's part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. 18. Done. Go out and get a job. They should have a job before then. They should learn the value of money. We're giving our kids. I don't know why I keep preaching on kids. That's next week. Well, the problem is we got 30 and 40 year old men that are acting like this. Men, let me tell you this. Every position that you find yourself in is your fault. Every position that you find yourself in is your fault. Not nobody else's fault, your fault. And you need to teach your children that. Especially the young men, because they're supposed to grow up and be leaders in homes and the head of the households. You, well, I just can't get, a, I can't get a grip on her. Maybe if you treat her right, she'd act right. Oh, I promise you. Maybe you need to sit down and talk and get you a battle plan that you both can agree on together. But it is the man's responsibility to initiate now, you all that know me know that Jen pays the bills in the house and she writes all, I haven't written a check and I don't know how long. But I tell her when to write them and how to write them 
and how much money we got, how much money we're going to have. I'm over it. I'm an overseer of it. She writes it all out. She tries to keep it all organized, but we got a budget. We know what we can spend each week. She knows what I'm putting in the savings account, and she knows not to touch it. Not that because she's going to do what I say, but because we both have agreed to it. But then we also know that if she does touch it, there's probably a good reason for it. And I'm not going to get mad at her for it. You, you don't get mad when you've been married 32 years. But you have conversation. You're like, hey, what'd you do? Well, I seen you dra- grab some money and got that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> All right, I needed my nails done. She had her nails done. I said, who's paying for that? She said, who you think's paying for it? I said, I think I am. She said, that's right. Big boy, man up. <laughs> and that's right. That's right. We're to love our wives as our own body. We're to be the leaders in our home. And every position that you find yourself in is your fault. Quit blaming other people. Well, I just can't make ends meet. That's your fault. That's your fault. Learn to say no to yourself. Don't be like me at a Chinese buffet. I found one in Knoxville the other day. My soul. It was within my window, Joe. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) I thought you was intermittent fasting. It was in my window. And boy, did I eat. That's why I said I'm going to have to go keto or something. These guys say, well, you intermittent fast and you have a three-hour window, four-hour window to eat and you can eat your stuff. There's no way you can eat more than 2,000 calories. He ain't been around me, has he, at a Chinese buffet? (laughs) Yeah, we can polish off 2,000 calories in the first plate. I know exactly what to put on that plate. (laughs) And then we got to go back for seconds, always at a buffet. You go back for seconds, always. (laughs) But every position... What you find yourself in is your fault. <laughs> yeah. Overweight, it's my fault, not Jenny's fault. Men, learn that. Now, how to grow up. Let me give you this, we'll be done. Everybody still with me? You buckled in? Is it okay? It's not been too rough, right? It's just kind of, yeah, it's, it's not too rough. I'm not trying to be mean. Determine your biblical role. Men, determine your biblical role and responsibility and do it. A lot of times men won't step up because they don't know what they're to step up to. If you're a husband, get in this Bible. If you don't know where to go to find it, ask your pastor. That's what I'm here for. I will show you the Bible. Find out, identify it, explain it to yourself, and then assume it and do it. That's how you grow up. What is your biblical responsibility? Number two, as a husband, you're a, prote- a provider. That means you should be the primary breadwinner. The provider. You say, well, my wife makes more than I do. Okay, but don't be happy working at Burger King while she's knocking down six figures a year. Get another job. Get a better job. And if anybody's in here, his wife's making six figures a year, great. Awesome. (laughs) Guys, you're lucky. (laughs) Not a problem. (laughs) 
I know this is a problem because when I worked construction, the men would come in on a Monday and they'd brag about how they were married to uh, wives that were nurses, executives, and all they had to do, you don't want to know why those men only worked two days a week? All they needed was enough money to put gas in their truck and to buy cigarettes. Yeah. I'm just telling you how it is out there in the real world. Because their wives were the professionals. Now, how that all happened, I, I don't know. Ladies, we might have to have a message on how to pick the right man. I don't know, but I wasn't that lucky. I got a beautiful wife, but she makes me walk the chalk. <laughs> Husbands, you're a provider, you're a protector. You're to protect your wives, and that's also protect them emotionally, too. And you're a presider. That means you're over. You should be over all the affairs. You should know what's going on in your house. You should know when the house payment's due. You should know when the electric bill's due. I didn't say you had to make the check out. I just said you should know and you should be helping your wife and reminding her, hey, we got to get that paid. Well, it's automatic withdrawal. Well, great, but make sure the money's there. And, and men, your wife should not have to drag you out of bed on Sunday morning. I mean, if, she, if you got kids, she's got enough to worry about to get them up and get them dressed and get ready instead of having to drag your butt out of bed on a Sunday. And surely she doesn't have to do that when you go to work. I've heard stories. You're a presider. That's what the Bible says. You're over it. It should be you that gets up first thing in the morning. All right, good morning, neighbor. It's a pretty day. I'm going to church. I'm on my way. We need singing around here somewhere. You should be getting everybody up. Hey, come on. Shaking the beds. Getting the breakfast on. We're going to church because daddy said so. 93%. When fathers bring their families to church, 93%. What was that? I shared that. When the father is the one that initiates that and brings his family to church, the success rate on that of staying in church is 93%. Fathers, it's important. Don't take responsibility from someone who should be responsible. This is for mommies. As you're raising young men. Don't take responsibilities from someone who should be responsible. Moms, I am going to talk to you just a little bit. When daddy gets in and tells junior, get your room cleaned today, get the grass mowed today, get the house washed, it's things that he needs to do. Don't you run in behind when daddy goes to work and say, okay, honey, while junior's playing on his little xbox playstation and you go in and you clean his room you go out there do your housework plus try to clean the house and and mow the grass yourself that's part of the problem do not take responsibility from someone who should have the responsibility i was 13 once mean as a snake i didn't want to do nothing but i promise you this and dad would give me things to do. We was homeschooled. Dad would give me chores to do. And I promise you, 
My mama sure didn't get up and do them for me. But she sure was there to tell on me when I got old. Don't take responsibility from someone who should be responsible. Don't, men, don't blame shift. Own your faults in everything. Own your faults in everything. Own it. Don't do for your children what they can do for themselves. Mommies, I'm talking to you again. Mothers are the nurturing ones in the home and they just want to do, 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 do. Here's the problem, moms. I know you mean well. But your son, you're going to raise him to grow up and he's going to trade you for another mommy, which is supposed to be his wife. But she's got to be his mommy. The Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother. Did you catch it, men? Your wife's not your mommy. Leave father and mother and cleave unto his, not his mommy, his wife. Now, I need to stop here because some of you men are already, I can see the questions on your face. Yeah, but your wife treats you like a child. I'm special. <laughs> she gets your clothes out and she irons them. Yeah, I'm colorblind. At least that's what I got her thinking. She makes your plate when we have church dinners. Yeah, that's right. I've earned that respect. We've been married 32 years and I've earned that. She does that not because I make her. Do you think I could make her do something she didn't want to do? I mean, come on now, guys. Out of the two of us, which one is the bulldog? That's right. Out of the two of us, which one is more likely to walk away crying and getting all emotional like, mm-hmm. yeah, her, me, yeah, me, sorry, babe, me. And you all know it. You all know it. But I've earned that. Don't, 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 don't demand that from me. I've earned that respect. I've been a provider. I've been a protector. And I've been a presider for 32 years of our marriage. And I've earned that respect. So don't expect that from your wives. That takes time, men. And that, <laughs> yeah, I told you ladies you would like this. So don't do for your children what they can do for themselves. That's why my dad made me buy my first car. He knew I could do that. Best thing he ever did. Simple, but it was the best thing he ever did. You make people weak when you do for them what they should do for themselves. You might as well break their legs and put them in a wheelchair if you parents are just going to do every little thing for them. You make them weak when you do for them what they should be doing for themselves. If they don't live at home, I'm not saying you can't help your kids out. I'm saying they need to shoulder the responsibility of their own financial burdens. They should be financially independent. There could be some lean times, but you don't always have to come flying in as Superman. You have your life to live. Men, make excuses your number one enemy. 
Remember this, an excuse is nothing more than a bag of reason that's filled with a lie. Make excuses. You're no, oh boy, I can, I can give you some excuses. Make excuses your number one enemy. What I'm saying is man up. Man up. Man up. It is biblical. It is right. I know the way the world's going. It's so bad that they've got this thing named with a medical term. Delayed social maturation. Yeah. I even think they got medicine for it. You don't need medicine. That's not what you need. You need to grow up. Get a grip. Be the man that God wants you to be. You can do it. All right, we can unbuckle. <laughs> that preacher, that's rough. It's the worst taste in medicine that does the best for you, isn't it? We have an epidemic today, and it's not just in our churches. It's in the world. And it's being prepared to worship Satan. When you demasculate men, they're used to having a nanny state over them. They can't, they're not going to think for themselves, take responsibility for themselves. And the Antichrist is going to come in and say, oh, by the way, stay on that couch playing your video games and I'm going to automatically deposit X amount of dollars in your account every week. But, yeah, worry about the buts. Now, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going out in the rapture. I pray that you go out too. Now, if you're not saved, you need to trust Jesus today. Let's all stand.